Hello and happy Lord's Day, Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. This is Dave McGuire bringing you more Sunday School content on this, the 9th of August, 2020. Uh, this series on presuppositional apologetics is going to be ending in four or five weeks, and after that we'll have a few one-off Sunday School classes. Uh, after that, we'd love to hear from you and, and figure out what it is that, uh, that you would um, uh, suggest or that you'd like to hear uh, come out of uh, Sunday School a series or something like that, um, maybe that uh, intrigues or interests you. Uh, so please get in touch with us um, via email or, or text me or um, come up to me on uh, Sunday morning. I'd love to, to chat with you about your experience uh, with the, this format of uh, Sunday School thus far. Um, and, uh, also I do thank those, uh, who have reached out and said that they've enjoyed, uh, this series. And so it, uh, kind of, you know, um, makes me, uh, happy that, uh, people are getting something out of it. Uh, so, uh, let's go ahead and, and pray. Dear Lord, uh, thank you that, uh, you've given us your word, uh, through your son, uh, that you have, uh, chosen men throughout, uh, history to, um, to hear from uh, your spirit so that we today now um, have access to you via your word. Um, thank you that we are able to learn from it and that we are able to share it with others. We pray that uh, you would bring folks into our lives uh, who are hurting and broken and um, so that we may uh, comfort them in, in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, he said loudly into the microphone just before tearing the phone book in half. That day I saw a man punch through a cinder block and another kick through a stack of plywood and other incredible feats of strength, and including that phone book. A friend and I took a middle school student I was tutoring to a power team-like presentation at the gym of a local church. A praise band opened, rocking out, My God is an awesome God. Most of the kids in the place had their hands raised and eyes closed as uh, we hit the fourth chorus. They knew the Christian poses. The kid that I took didn't. He kind of just stood there, confused by what was happening. I'd um, given him and his mom little context, really. She was a single mom, and I'm sure that she was happy to have the evening to herself. Then the amazing stunts were over, and... They were uh, winding down, and the guitar player came back up and started strumming. The power team were still up there. A short come-to-Jesus talk was given that I honestly uh, can't remember the content of. Um, then the speaker asked if anyone wanted to come forward so the team could pray with them and help them to ask Jesus into their hearts. I looked at the kid, and he and smiled. He had his hand up. My friend looked at him too. Do you want to go up? She asked, and the kid nodded, and we took him up there. My friend and I listened as one of the power men led the kid through some approximation of the sinner's prayer. We talked about church a little bit on the ride home. I dropped him off. My friend and I offered to take him to church that Sunday. His mom said she'd call me. She never did. I never followed up, and I still think about that glaring failure sometimes, um, even to this day. There was no talk of sin, no talk of repentance, nothing about the life, work, death, and resurrection of God become man. Just a vague notion of the benefit that Jesus can be to him or to me or to you. When I was a kid, I would lose my salvation once every couple of weeks. I was a bad kid, so why would Jesus continue to love me if I was bad? There's no one around to disabuse me of that idea. The 
children's and youth pastors barely even batted an eye when I raised my hand with closed eyes to once again receive Jesus as my Savior over and over. The gospel is an incredibly straightforward story, which God has laid out to us through the writings of chosen men with astounding detail and clarity. The problem begins to arise when we introduce our innovation. There's nothing wrong with tearing a phone book in half, but when it begins to muddy the water of the message of strength presented in the gospel, it becomes an innovated distraction from the truth of the gospel. If the focus is on me and how I feel on any given day and not on the steadfast love of Christ, that's a confusing message and leads to the false narrative that my fickleness somehow trumps God's ability to hold on to his own. The ultimate goal of apologetics, as we've stated many times, is to foretell the good news of Jesus Christ. It is crucial, then, to know how to do it accurately, specifically, and effectively. Imprecise language leads to confusion. In addition, Christians love our Christian speak. We must, therefore, think about our terms before we use them. Are we using biblical language in terms? Is repentance and belief at the forefront of our message? Or are we asking the unbeliever to vaguely surrender slash give slash commit slash dedicate her life to Jesus? Jesus' message in Mark 1 is plain and simple and clear. Repent and believe in the gospel. Farnham calls repentance and belief two sides of the same coin. That is to say that they are distinct but inseparable. We are not to ask the non-Christian to decide to follow Jesus. If it is our decision alone, we would most certainly turn back. Rather, we need to remind the unbeliever of the truth of his or her condition. Humble and meaningful repentance may only be done after recognizing your status as an enemy of the holy God in open rebellion against him. We must lay it out in clear, concise, biblical terms that the hope and, and in the hope that the Spirit will move the listener to see his need of Christ. I've even said as much before in, in these sorts of circumstances. I've indicated that it is my desire to see the Spirit of God draw my friend. In outlining uh, that if I really believed the things that I'm telling him about to be true, I would be a terrible friend if I didn't clearly articulate the gospel to him. That removes so many of the barriers between you and the unbeliever. It really stresses that I'm not doing this to earn a merit badge or because I'll get to a better level of heaven or because I think that my friend is not living his best life now. To stand there Phil Collins style and watch him drown would fly in the face of what I claim to be uh, the truth, what I claim to believe is the truth. That is why clear biblical language is so important. It is the ordinary means God provides to stir the spirit of the drowned man and to pull him from his ultimate fate. Repent and believe, minimize the confusion, and, uh, and maximizes the, the, the very concept of what reconciles a person to God. They emphasize that although the benefits of salvation are multitude, the primary need of a person is reconciliation with his creator. The only thing we bring to our salvation, 
the sin that necessitates it, is central to the discussion. If she is unconvinced of her guilt, the sinner won't see the need for reconciliation in the first place, as there's no need to reconcile a relationship which isn't broken. The path there may be winding because the primary reason you're going to get the opportunity to present the gospel to someone isn't because you two are having an intellectual discussion about differing worldviews. It may be, and, and praise God for that, but it's much more likely to be that the person you're talking to is broken. A lost relationship, a defeat in life, bad medical diagnoses. If these things are at the forefront of your friend's life, she's much more apt to focus on that and not on the larger problem. That the ultimate cause of the suffering in her life is a fallen, sinful world of which she is an active part. It is very important at this point that you listen and listen intently to the problem. Let her talk, her, talk it out. Ask her questions about it. If you're simply waiting for an opportunity to slip sin back into the conversation, you might lose her. Or at the very least, cause her to think that you're not really all that interested in her immediate problem, in her issue that really is driving her to you. Remember, of course, to clearly state when you're talking about Christianity that although reconciliation with God may help with the immediate issue, Christianity won't erase all earthly consequences. Your relationship still may fail. Your health may not return but embracing Christ is leaning on him unconditionally. Emphasis on sin and brokenness and one's inability to fix things may lead to a sense of hopelessness. This is a good thing if that hope was in her own ability to turn things around. The hope that we're offering, on the other hand, is in the deep, deep love of the Father that is offered through the Son. God desires that sinners be reconciled to him. And moreover, he doesn't wait for her to come back. He runs to her and showers her with love, as the father does for the prodigal son. When a sinner is reconciled with, to God, she is also not reset just to zero and must now build the righteousness in order to be further accepted. She's immediately brought into the family and adopted as a child, filled with the merit that Christ earned for her. She is now, as Farnham um, helpfully states, a, a participant in a covenant that is entirely for her benefit and is installed as a full-fledged member of a community. We all desire to be accepted, to find a place where we belong. The Church of Jesus Christ offers that. It is God's very nature to pour out his love for those who don't deserve it. So far is he willing to go on our behalves that he would send his only son to die for us. So then, on whose merit will we rest? Our own? That's not rest. That's more burden. A work friend posted on social media one of those feel-good sayings the other day. So what if, it said, instead of thinking about solving your whole life, you just think about adding additional good things one at a time? Just let your pile of good things grow. I couldn't help but think of those good things and the work one must do to find, collect, and cult cultivate them. And how over time that pile of good things adds to the burden and crushes you under its weight. This is what happens when we try to merit our reconciliation. We build a tower of good works 
and good things on our backs in hopes that we can reach heaven or nirvana or what have you. But we really just get crushed under the weight of our own trying. Grace drips away that burden, knowing that the free gift of grace means that you can stop relentlessly working toward a goal you can't possibly achieve is so freeing. What if I told my daughters that they had to earn my love, that my love is conditioned on their behavior, conditioned on their good works, adding to their own burden? It sounds appalling on its very surface, and you'd be right to call me a bad father. Why then do we think that we must earn God's love? We can rely on the free gift of the Spirit that removes that burden and allows us to rest. And then those good works that we do afterwards are done out of gratitude. Don't push things, though. If you feel the natural end of the conversation has arrived, remember that we are reliant on the Spirit, not on our own ability to persuade. We must here rely also on the sovereignty of God. He will do things in his own timing, if he so chooses. End these encounters with encouragements to read the Gospels. I like to offer up Luke first most of the time. Offer to answer any questions your friend might have. Invite him over to dinner to continue things. The love that genuine hospitality displays cannot be overstated. Sacrificially giving your time... Opening your home and providing food can have a profound impact on a broken and hurting person who is really just seeking out community, and you're offering him or her that community. At times, this is just as powerful as any verbal testimony, just being there. So then, what if you see that your conversation partner seems to be open to the next step? This is important. Don't panic. Remember that this is within God's sovereignty as well. Your eloquence will not save him, and your lack of eloquence won't damn him. Farnham uh, helpfully offers, A gentle yet compelling approach might be to ask, Is there anything keeping you from trusting in Jesus Christ right now? He continues, This question is effective because it brings to light any lingering obstacles or questions in the heart before the unbeliever is invited to call upon God for salvation. Don't rush things. Let him consider his sin and the solution to his ultimate problems. If he asks for guidance in prayer now, provide it. But don't think that it must be some kind of formalized call and response. Let him know that he should acknowledge his sin and guilt before God and ask for Christ's forgiveness. Confess that Jesus is the only way by which he is made right with God. Personalize it. Confession, repentance, and then thanksgiving. Invite him to thank God for the gift of his son, for salvation, for adoption into his family. And again, we look to scripture for guidance. Romans 10, 9 through 11 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. When we provide a defense of the Christian faith, 
and when that defense naturally turns to the truth of the Christian worldview, we must be able to present the gospel clearly and concisely. The core message of Jesus is that he came to seek and to save sinners like us through his incarnation, by his ministry and perfect life, and that he bore the weight of all of our sin so that God's righteous, just judgment was carried out against him instead of us. By this, we are not only forgiven our sins, but the righteousness of Christ is poured into us so that we are made children of God and will reside with him for all eternity. Be prepared, Christian, and get ready. Pray that God will place unbelievers into your life so that you may joyfully share the reason that you have hope and peace in the midst of all of this seeming chaos of COVID and of riots and of political malfeasance. Make that your prayer, Christian, today. Amen.